0: You're listening to the St. John's Dumb and Creek podcast.
1: This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister Kirk McKenzie. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 to 19. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts from the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather, you have, pro- I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the, church is, that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray for they that they may have, that they may interpret what they say. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not want know what you were saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in your tongue.
0: Thanks, John. Good, everyone. My name's Kirk, one of the ministers here at St. John's. Um, we're in a series where we're looking at three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, 13 and 14. So we're into chapter 14 and we've got two weeks with me uh, on that chapter this week and next week. Uh, it is the sort of chapters that might prompt a lot of questions, uh, which is why we've got Q&A at the end of next week's um, service. Also, uh, there is a podcast that go, is coming out mid-week. So it's going to come out probably on a Wednesday um, this week and then again the week after. Where we go into a bit more detail about the topics we've been covering in this series so i do recommend checking that podcast out Um, easy enough to find on our website and subscribing to that and checking out the bonus material that we've been putting out and we'll continue to put out hey around the world today uh, churches are celebrating the day of pentecost remembering the events of that day which are outlined in the book of acts chapter 2 so what i'm going to do to start off tonight's teaching is to Talk us through that story and to remind us of the events that we're celebrating and they rate they, they do relate pretty directly to what john's just read for us from 1 corinthians chapter 14 so when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place they being the christians at the time jesus had just left earth and so they seemed to be gathered for some sort of prayer meeting um and the day the pentecost was a festival that drew Jewish people from all over the world because the Jewish people had had immigrated off to different parts of the world and then the festival drew them all back to Jerusalem uh, to attend this festival called Pentecost. There's a lot of people in the city. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated... And came to rest on each of them this is why there's a red theme tonight the the fire and the red theme Um, they're like non-burny flames it seems like they're not like ah sort of just flames there on top of their heads and then all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues you might say speak in other languages as the spirit enabled them so some pretty far out miraculous stuff going on here now they were staying in jerusalem Uh, There were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Basically saying, there's people come from everywhere, every known nation, you know, there was someone represented. When they heard this sound, a crowd began to gather in bewilderment. I have a sound effect for bewilderment. It's... So this is what's happening, right? People are like, what's going on here? So they come and check it out because they each heard their own language being spoken. And it goes on to list off all the different places where they're from and therefore all the different languages that would have been spoken in the crowd. And they say, well, hang on, all these people who are praying in these languages are from the one place, Galilee. And yet, suddenly they're able to speak all these languages which they shouldn't be able to speak. So it lists off all these different places. And then it says people were amazed and perplexed. Perplexed meaning a bit confused. And they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. After that, Peter goes on to quote a couple of prophecies, three prophecies from the Old Testament, one from Joel and two from David. So these are things that were written down hundreds of years earlier and Peter gets up and when he's explaining what's going on with the wind and the fire and the um, different tongues, he refers to these different prophecies. Now, I'll give you an example. Um, The first few lines of the Joel prophecy say, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And he goes on, A bit more with Joel and then some other prophecies as well. And basically, what it's saying is what was predicted by these guys a very long time ago is coming true right now in front of your eyes. For us, it's 2,000 years ago. For them, it was right at that moment. And so, what we have in the story of Pentecost is tongues playing a big part in what's going on and also prophecy having a significant influence on what's happening. And we're going to focus on those two things tonight, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, because that's what Paul focuses on in, his, in uh, this particular chapter that we're looking at. Um, so this is after Pentecost, a you know, number of years afterwards. Um, there's a church now in the city of Corinth, and they are, they've got a lot of spiritual gifts. They love the spiritual gifts. Um, you know, we've looked at those in chapter 12. They love them, they use them a lot and so Paul's writing to them just to help them to use them as effectively as possible. So here's the structure of the the three chapters we've been looking at in the series. Chapter 12 describes the many different spiritual gifts and how they're all meant to work together and sort of what they're for. Chapter 13 is the most famous or arguably the most famous bit of writing on love ever and it reminds us the purpose of all these gifts that God's giving out to the church is love to experience love from God and to share that love with other people. So that's like the, the meat in the sandwich right there. And then in chapter 14, it's especially about tongues and prophecy and how we use those gifts when we meet together. Now today, because it's a bit of a two-parter for this chapter, I'm going to focus mainly on what Paul says right at the start of the chapter. In verse 1, and encourage you to have it open with you uh, in front of you. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So that's what I'm going to be talking about, the way of love and why would we would eagerly desire the gifts of tongues and prophecy, especially prophecy. And then next week, I'm going to talk about the guidelines Paul gives as to how to use those most effectively when we meet together. Um, so if you do get to the end of the talk and you're like, oh, I didn't really pick up on some of the guidelines that Paul gives, don't worry, that's going to come with next week's talk. little bit of sizzle there for you for next week so let's get into it and let's talk about tongues and prophecy what are they Um, if you're visiting tonight you've probably heard the word prophecy but possibly you haven't heard of tongues at all so let's get a bit of an overview of them tongues is an unlearned language okay so uh, most likely everyone here speaks english possibly that's because you you learned it from from day zero Um, possibly because you need to you need to study it um, you, know, you know you spoke another language you've moved to australia and so you had to listen to people you had to go to classes and, and read up and learn how to study a language so there's the ways we do it you know um, we, we pick it up as kids or we study it uh, as we're older tongues is not like that tongues is you've never learned it nobody's ever taught you this language you just suddenly miraculously supernaturally are able to speak in a new language that possibly you've never even heard before let alone um, being taught so we have this gift of tongues now there seems to be two types of tongues uh, outlined in the bible the first is what we see in Acts chapter 2 and that is where the person who receives this gift from God is able to speak a language that already exists so for example uh, I don't think I would know one word of Korean but possibly God could give me the gift of tongues and I could speak in Korean and if a Korean speaker was here with us they would know what I was saying because I'd be speaking it fluently, be an amazing thing. Julie shared a story about that a couple of weeks ago, um, how that happened in a prayer ministry, just a prayer meeting that she was in, encourage you to get on the podcast and have a listen to that if you missed out. Um, So that's the first type, speaking a language that is spoken by someone else around the world. There's another type, and this is more what Paul talks about in this chapter. So uh, have a, have a look in um, verse two, I think. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. No one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So it seems like God can gift us a language uh, that only He can understand. That when other people hear it that's not something that they're familiar with and so it's not something that you're speaking with your brain right because when you're speaking with your brain you've learned the language this paul talks about you're speaking with your spirit it's more of a gut thing and god's helping you to do it now the thing is with the gift of tongues it is sometimes partnered with the gift of the interpretation of tongues this was mentioned in chapter 12 and that's where god might give somebody the ability to understand one of these languages That only god can normally understand Uh, and so i don't have a lot of experience with that gift i've got a bit of experience with speaking um in tongues i've done that three times in my life Um, and i would say whilst i couldn't give you a word for word translation of what i was saying i did know the gist of it like you know i had a in my gut i knew what was going on but i certainly couldn't tell you what any of the individual words meant or how they all fit together but someone with the gift of interpretation may be able to do that. I have very limited knowledge myself, but I've got a few friends um, who have experienced either being able to interpret someone's tongues or um, being in a situation where they heard it interpreted. So it seems like that gift still is getting around. God's still giving that to people um, in different parts of the world, including Melbourne, um, and it goes nicely together with the gift of tongues. So, what about prophecy? How is that similar? How is that different? Well, they're similar in the fact that they're both a speaking gift, right? So tongues requires us to speak, and so does prophecy. But you'll do prophecy in a language that you already know. So for me, being classic, you know, hopeless Aussie, I only know one language, which is English. And so when I, you know, if I share a word of prophecy, it's going to be in English. Um, And we can think of it as God's word for God's people. Sometimes it's thought of as predicting the future... You know, like a lot of popular fiction is like this. Prophecies are all about some prediction of what's going to happen down the track with technology, or some doomsday weapon's going to be created, or something like that. And there is some prophecy in the Bible that is future-based. So that stuff that Peter quoted in Acts chapter two—that's future prophecy. But a lot of prophecy in the Bible, indeed the majority of prophecy in the Bible, is based in the present. God talking about what's happening now. Um, giving his thoughts on it and what he wants to be, to be different about the present situation. So prophecy can be future; it can be present stuff. God's word for God's people. Um, let me tell you a story about how I've experienced this myself. Uh, I I was in a prayer ministry situation during a church service that we're attending a number of years ago, and a friend of ours came over and he just wanted to pray about a couple of things that were going on in his life. So me and another guy, we start praying for him. And while we're praying for him, I get this thought in my head that's saying that I should pray for him to relax, particularly that he should relax into God, sort of had an image of him sort of leaning on God in a sort of relaxing way, it's a bit of a weird thing. And the thing about this thought was, it had nothing to do what he'd asked us to pray about, like they weren't connected in any way that I could see. But I just couldn't get the thought out of my head. It just kept, kept interrupting. And so I'd been learning a bit about the gift of prophecy and I thought, well, maybe God's given me a word for this guy, uh, for my friend here, and maybe this will be useful even though I, I can't really see how it would be. So I just decided I'll, I'm just going to throw it into the prayers <laughs> and see what happens, see if I get any weird looks from him. So I did. I prayed that he could relax into God and we continued praying. And, and when we finished he looked at me and he identified that as the part of the prayer where he really felt like that was the breakthrough that's where he connected with god Uh, that was the most poignant most significant part of the prayer that he felt that god had really spoken to him through me in that moment and that's generally the way i've found the gift of prophecy has worked in my experience that it's generally when you're praying for someone you've got someone on their mind and then god just gives you A special message for them that's going to be important for them and you may or may not know why it's going to be important but it's something that's valuable to share sometimes that can be for an individual sometimes it can be for a group of people Um, paul gives us a bit of a helpful outline here as to what prophecy is for in verse 3 he says the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening encouraging and comfort so strengthening, encouraging, and comfort—that's what prophecies for. So, if you ever get a thought in your head that's like, "This person's an absolute moron and they need a bit of a smackdown from me," um, and God's—and so that's a prophetic word. Well, okay, a prophetic word may challenge someone to strengthen them or to encourage them, but it's not just going to be a straight smackdown to make them feel bad. There's going to be some level of of building that person up and, and and pushing them in a positive direction. That's a good little test as far as working out, is this just from me, or is this actually something that God might want to tell them? So strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Now, in verse 1, Paul says to eagerly desire uh, the spiritual gifts, and especially prophecy. So this is an interesting thing. Sometimes we can go, oh, that means tongues are bad and prophecy is good, (laughs) or other gifts are bad and a waste of time, and prophecy is the only one worthwhile. That's definitely not what he's saying. Just gotta read it plainly, that's not the case. What he's saying is the gifts are good. The gift of tongues is good. And prophecy's a little bit better. Prophecy's better than those gifts. And you go, okay, well, why? Because in my thinking, I'm going, well, hang on. Tongues seems to be more miraculous and more amazing than prophecy. Prophecy's just in my language. Tongues is like this incredible thing where God gives you a new language. Sure, would not that be better? So what's the the deal here? Why is prophecy more desirable? Well, Paul outlines it in a few different ways. Let me summarise. He basically says tongues, particularly when you're praying the type of tongues that is a language that only God can understand, is for for the individual. It's for me. And it's not actually useful for anyone else. If I pray in a language that you don't understand, you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. In fact, it's probably going to be a bit of a weird experience for you. Uh, it might be encouraging for me. In fact, he uses the word edify, which means improve or instruct. So, okay, it's going to be great for the individual, but it's not going to be helpful for other people unless there's an interpretation, I guess. Um, and when it's interpreted, it's kind of like the gift of tongue starts to become the gift of prophecy at the same time, in a, in a sort of some kind of sort of way. But if it's just for you, then it's a good gift, but it's not going to be helpful for everyone else. Prophecy, though, is all, is, it is for somebody else. That's the whole point of it. Um, maybe for one extra person or maybe for a whole group of people. Sometimes it was for a whole nation of people, right? So more people are going to benefit from that gift. Therefore, it's logical that we should desire to have that gift in our church more than other gifts because it's going to help a whole lot of people. And that's the way god works it's challenging in our society right because we're very individualistic in australia i think about me first and if i've got time i'll think about you but that's not the way god's set things up that's not the way he wants the church to operate the idea is that we're all equal in his eyes that everyone's important and we're to think of others as much as we think of ourselves and so the gift of prophecy totally ties in with that in the sense that it is a gift that we can enjoy using and we can be encouraged by using, but it's there to help other people. This is my theory on why we should um, seek prophecy more than the other gifts. Okay, so we move in towards our final section. Let's think about common reactions that people have when we talk about tongues and prophecy. And I'm going to take the three different reactions that they had on the day of Pentecost. Some people were amazed. Some people were perplexed going on and some people made fun of the situation so let's start with amazed mostly i've been in this category when i first heard about the gift of tongues i was like really this is a real thing god actually does that that's amazing like if you think about it god who created the infinite universe and i realize if you're visiting maybe you're skeptical about that you go i'm not sure god exists or did create everything but assume for a moment that he did created absolutely everything the universe is so big it's beyond our comprehension and yet he cares about relationship with us so much he loves us so much that he would actually give us a language to communicate better with him a special language miraculously supernaturally given um our daughter our second daughter is going to start prep next year right so we have gone through the prep thing once before and one of the things you're supposed to do when you're a prep parent is to go along to a couple of sessions for parents where they teach you how English works so that you're going to be able to help teach your kids at home and you go into those sessions thinking I know how English works I speak English every day this is going to be really easy but not long into those sessions where they're teaching you how the alphabet works and how to read English and and all this sort of stuff parents sort of scratching their head and going hang on and interrupting the teachers and all this sort of stuff because it's actually quite a complicated language and it just kind of works right for us because you sort of pick it up as we go but when you actually try and, and analyze things you realize that it's not a great language so for example we think that there's three tenses past present future but we don't have a way of describing something that begun in the past and is continuing in the present Right? That's another tense. But we don't have a really convenient way to explain that. Some languages do, but we don't. So there's a whole bunch of problems with English. Plus, how many times have you said this year a line like, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? This is what we say when we are in conversation with people. I even put it in emails. right? Because English, you're not always confident that what you're saying is going to get through to the other person. You're not always confident that you've expressed yourself Properly with the words that are available in the language that we speak and other languages have similar, lim- similar limitations it's not just a limitation with english and so i just think it's awesome that god would give us the gift of tongues so that when we really need to we can just cut through all the limitations of our language and be able to speak with our spirit in a really helpful way and that's not to dismiss the mind and and, and paul's very clear about that that we don't just worship with our feelings we also worship with our thoughts Um, but what a great thing for god to do it shows us how loving he is and also it just helps us believe that god's real you know because it's amazing when when these gifts are used um, and god gives them to us so that's one common reaction another common reaction to these gifts is perplexed and i totally get this and i've certainly been in this category sometimes it's just confusing like what what this, is this real? Like, how does, this all, how does all this work? How, what? Huh? And so, perplexed. Okay, why? Why do we get perplexed by these things? I think the main reason is that they're miraculous. They're supernatural. Let me give you a definition, the primary different definition of miracle. It's an extraordinary event that cannot be explained by natural or scientific laws and is therefore attributed to some sort of God so we see something or we hear something or experience something and we say there's no way if the the world was running normally there is no way that could happen unless god got involved that's the only way to explain it now that's the way the bible talks about miracles there are some secondary definitions of miracle which tone that down a little bit so sometimes it's just a, a coincidence or a thing that happens that amazes us and that gives us a sense of wonder okay so a baby being born is something like that right where people see a baby and this baby's just amazing and they're wonderful and so on and they describe the baby as a miracle by this definition babies are not miracles babies are born all the time heaps (laughs) like stacks and we have a very good idea how that happens okay so, it's not outside the normal experience of life. It's Babies being born is terrific, it's fantastic, but we can explain it using natural and scientific laws really easily. And You have those awkward health ed classes at school where they explain it in a lot of detail and then play one of those videos that, you know, really gets your attention. So, we, you know, these sort of things. Flowers are not miracles, right? Beautiful gardens are great. They're not miracles, you know. You crossing the road and nearly getting hit by a car but then not getting hit by it is that's not a miracle it's good that you didn't get hit it's great but by this definition it's not a miracle but God giving you a language that you have never learned to speak and somebody else in the room understanding that language and being able to hear you praise God in that language that is a fair income miracle that fits that definition and so miracles by this definition they're hard to get our head around because they don't normally happen. That's why they're a miracle. This is the why we don't call babies miracles, because they're born every minute, <laughs> right? But real, like miracles of this de- definition, um, they stand out. They are strange. They are weird. They're not normal. But, hey, if God's giving them to us, How great is that, that he's getting involved in that way? So it's okay to be perplexed. It's understandable to be perplexed. What do you do with that, though? If you are in that category, what do you do with it? I was chatting to a mate a few years back. He was getting interested in Christianity. He was particularly interested in miracles and supernatural stuff, particularly the gift of healing, where sometimes God just heals someone miraculously on the spot. Talking to someone this morning, actually, uh, their daughter had uh, fallen and broken her leg to the point where the bone had split and poked out of the skin. And while they were waiting for medical help to arrive, they prayed for it. And in front of their eyes, the bone joined back together and the skin healed up, right? So, this is, a, this is just a story someone told me in the foyer out there this morning. So, assuming that's true, that's a miracle, right? We can all agree that's a miracle. Um, so, he gets very interested in this, fair enough. And so we're chatting about it. At the end of the conversation, he summarised it by, I'll believe it when I see it, which I think is a fair thing to say. And so coincidentally, a couple of days later, there'd been a prayer meeting organised by a bunch of people who were quite familiar and experienced with the gift of healing uh, and inviting people who were sick to come along and be healed. And I said to him, hey, well, why don't you come along and check it out? And he said, no, thanks. what's going on there interestingly the word fear is often used by people when i hear them talk about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and actually i was talking to a life group leader this morning and they talked about the fact that they talked about it last week in their group and that that had been a bit of a common reaction that there was fear of it different sorts of fear maybe fear of change in the sense that if if this stuff's real and god's actually this real I'm going to have to change something about my life in response to this because I've kind of just been living with him as being maybe real or just a bit over there. If I'm confronted with a miracle from God, it's a bit more serious, isn't it? Maybe it's a fear of being out of control. Sometimes there's some conspiracy theories out there about tongues in particular that lead people to think that when you receive the gift of tongues, God kind of possesses you and uses you as a ventriloquist doll you know, and you sort of lose all control. It's not what the bible teaches it's not people's experience with the gift but sometimes there are these theories so we can have this fear and maybe some other reasons why we might fear these miraculous gifts but that's where we need to come back to the love sandwich in these three chapters we've been looking at in this series chapter 12 about spiritual gifts chapter 14 about spiritual gifts right in the middle of that the meat and the sandwich the chapter about love how much god loves us How we're to use the gifts for love. God loves us. He's shown that to us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He's shown that to us in many other ways. And these gifts are, again, another demonstration of His love. So that's a good thing to remind ourselves of. If you're feeling fear of these things, just remember that God loves you and He's not there to scare you. They're not miracles for the sake of miracles. Um, they are there to really help us. Now, there are some loving ways to use these gifts, and there are some unloving ways to use the gifts. We'll get into the unloving stuff next week and talk about the guidelines God gives us for using them. But the primary purpose of them and the heart of them is that they are to show us God's love. The last category of people is uh, that they were made fun of. They made fun of them. You know, oh, these guys are drunk. And again, I can understand that because if you are witnessing something miraculous and it doesn't fit with what you've experienced in life before it's understandable to put it down to substance abuse and I just go you know well people do weird things when they're on when when they're on substance various substances maybe that's what's happening so it's an understandable reaction um you know if you're visiting you'd say this is your first time at church tonight and you've come in you've never been to church before and you're like all right I wonder what they're going to talk about at church when i go along for the first time maybe about giving to charity uh maybe about loving your neighbor something like that and then i guess it got weird pretty quick tonight didn't it like going through the bible readings like whoa what's what's that all about and then this talk, going is this is this legit is this what christians talk about because it is some of the weirder stuff um that goes on and again because not because it's creepy weird but just because it's miraculous doesn't normally happen But let me tell you that at the heart of what Christians believe is something way weirder than that. You know, we believe that a Middle Eastern carpenter, 2,000 years ago, did hundreds, probably thousands of miracles, including being dead and buried for three days and then rising again uh, back to life. Uh, By the way, his mum was a virgin when she got pregnant and uh, Jesus, who is that Middle Eastern carpenter, was not only an amazing bloke but also was god come to earth in human form so if we want to talk about weird crazy supernatural things that christians believe in let's start there at the heart of what we believe and then tongues and prophecy seem fairly relaxed and wild compared to that here's the reality everyone if you're going to be a christian if you're going to follow jesus believing in miracles is part of the course this is just it's just part of being a christian it's the reality Uh, the Bible doesn't make sense if if miracles aren't real. It's 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 a book of lies if miracles don't happen. I totally understand that miracles are hard to believe in. That's the point. We don't believe in these things because, hey, people rise from the dead all the time. It's because it was a miraculous, amazing thing that only God could have done that means we put our faith in it. And the best thing to do is to just open yourself up to the possibility that miracles are real bearing in mind that god does miracles not just to do a magic trick or just to prove his existence or to show off but to demonstrate us his love and if you actually look at the miracles in the new testament that show that yeah the miracles that jesus did there's there's usually a point to them they're not just there for some sort of show-off trick there's some sort of loving relationship dynamic going on there it's a really interesting thing to read through books of matthew mark luke and john and just have a look at that and see the relational loving aspect of those miracles so we're to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts including the weird ones uh eagerly desire what's that mean well uh, it was my birthday a few days back and our daughters had a, a little bit of money that they had left over from christmas which they were to use for an adventure and so we suggested why don't we go to latitude who's been to latitude Yep, Latitude's an awesome place, heaps of trampoline for kids and for adults, trampolines everywhere, rock climbing, zip lines, uh, dodge dodgeball on trampolines, foam pits, all this sort of stuff, it's great. Uh, so we said, well, why don't we go to Latitude and then go out and get dumplings for dinner, which is their favorite, one of their favourite foods. And when we suggested this to them, their eyes lit up and they started making this screeching noise that I can't replicate for you, but indicates that they eagerly desired to go to latitude and then have dumplings, and in our own grown-up way, that's how we should be thinking about the spiritual gifts. That we should eagerly desire them. That that should be the idea of possibly God giving us the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy, or another of the gifts that's mentioned in chapter twelve. That should be an exciting thing. We should go, yeah, that would be awesome. I'd love that, and take the opportunity we, opportunities we get to ask for those things. That's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, through the rest of our service and then in the extended worship time is to give you opportunities to invite God to do that so I'm going to um, ask the band to come back up now we're going to have one more song be sort of before the um, official end of the service uh, and then as was mentioned earlier in the notices, is head out grab yourself a drink um, and then we're going to restart again in here for those who'd like to stick around But take the opportunity with this song that we've got coming up and with the opportunity to pray and to worship later on in the night to eagerly desire those gifts and to talk about them. And if you do feel perplexed, if you do feel fear about these things, I encourage you to talk to God about it, pray with others about it. Let's see if we can have a few breakthroughs in this area of our life as a church and our life as individuals tonight. Remember that God loves us and it's an awesome thing to look forward to. So let's say a prayer um, before we sing again. Lord Jesus, we believe in you. We put our trust in you. You've demonstrated your incredible love for us. There's no reason to fear the one who died for us, who forgives us, and who gives us so many good gifts. Help us to overcome any obstacles that we have when it comes to these spiritual gifts. Help us to see the supernatural that's going on around us. See the supernatural that you want to do in our lives. We ask for breakthroughs tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, Send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au.